In our study today, we learn that Paul begins his second missionary journey. This time, his companions include Silas and Timothy. And the trio caught the fire of the Holy Spirit as they preached the gospel throughout a broad region. They trekked great distances over land and sea. And despite opposition, serious opposition along the way, they continued to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. The result? People were coming to faith in Christ Jesus. Churches were strengthened and encouraged in the faith. And the kingdom grew. Now here's Pastor Jim with our message, Combustion. Of Beginning in Acts chapter 16 and going through uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 22, we get the historical account of Paul's second missionary journey. And we've seen the amazing work of God through the Holy Spirit and trusting God's servants to spread the gospel just as Jesus said it would. Remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That scripture never gets old, does it? Nor should it when it's talking about power, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon uh, believers. Um, We're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Um, As you know, after... I know Brian's like, what? (laughs) As you know, uh, after the Wednesday night message, and we have a time of prayer. So tonight we're going to do that. That's not going to change. But we're going to trust in the Holy Spirit for how we pray. In the passage that we see in Acts chapter 16, we have many prayer nuggets, if you will. So that means you need to pay attention to the message. Or at least read your Bible. And we're just going to trust in the Lord and how we pray tonight. Sound good? Praise the Lord. Um, I read this quote from Vance uh, Havner, a revivalist, one who, you know, was under the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, We will move the world not by criticism of nor conformity to it, but by the combustion with our lives ignited by the Spirit of God. I love the word combustion. In fact, I love it so much, it's the title of tonight's message. Combustion. Combustion, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who follow Jesus Christ. Combustion. Let's pray. Lord, what a blessing it is to to be in your word, to be in this place, to be together with the body of Christ. And Lord, to, to see how you worked as we read in the book of Acts, Lord, it's just so wonderful. And Lord, we think about our own day and how we are living on the other side of the gospel, of the truth of your word. As the early church went out, Lord, they were beginning a new, a new work, part of the new covenant. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're at the end, living in this, what they call, postmodern culture. And Lord, we know that your return is imminent. You are coming for your church. But yet, Lord, we want to be like the early church, to be filled and empowered by your spirit, to fulfill your mission in our lives, that we would 
have that combustion coming from us, Lord, just as we are going to read of Paul and as we have read of Paul and the other missionaries, Silas and others, Lord. And Lord, tonight as we look at these scriptures, we just pray that you would work in each one of our hearts. Remind us what you've done, but remind us also what you want to do in our lives, that we would glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's dive in. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. And then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And so remember, uh, this is not Paul and his team's first trip to, to Derby and to Lystra. Uh, five years have passed, and now they're going back to see what was going on with, with the churches there, the believers there. Five years have passed, and remember, God did some amazing things, and uh, Paul was almost killed, uh, you know, if you remember correctly, back, back in Lystra. So five years have passed, and now we are introduced to this person, this disciple, Timothy. And it's most likely, as Paul shared the gospel five years prior in his first missionary trip, his first missionary journey, that Timothy heard the gospel and he came to the Lord. He was saved. And we read here that Timothy's dad was Greek, his mother was Jewish. We also know that from the scriptures that this Timothy would become very dear and very effective for the gospel, very dear to Paul. And, and, and Paul ministered to him and mentored him, and uh, Timothy was great in the kingdom of God. And so this is this Timothy. And again, his father was Greek. And we see in verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So I emphasize that Timothy's father was Greek. His mother was Jewish. That means he was half Jewish. And it's interesting then that Timothy was not circumcised. And it's even more interesting that Paul here, the first thing he does is he gets Timothy and he has him circumcised, which is interesting because when we read and studied Acts chapter 15 last week, we understand that Paul was very influential in proclaiming grace that Gentiles did not need to be circumcised to be saved. And yet here we see Paul, the first thing he does on his second missionary journey is to have Timothy, a half-Jew, if you will, to be circumcised. Why would he do that? Is he changing his doctrine? No, not the great apostle Paul. He would never change his doctrine. What we see Paul's heart here, he understood his audience and that uh, he was going to go share the gospel with the Jews. And they would look upon this half-Jewish man, Timothy, and really acknowledge him as an apostate. And so Paul understood that for the sake of the gospel, 
for the sake of the kingdom of God. It was necessary for Timothy to be circumcised. In fact, he didn't want to be a stumbling block. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 22. We really capture the heart of Paul. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So we capture Paul's heart here in that for the sake of the gospel, he would do what was necessary not to be a stumbling block. And it really begs us the question then, what are we willing to change in our walk, in our life, for the sake of the gospel? We live in a culture that every man and every woman, it seems like they want to be right. Unless you're on 275, then it's just all chaos, right? My goodness, it's like the closer you get to Christmas, the worse it gets, too. There's more people out there, it seems like. But everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to win their argument. And there's no real tolerance. And in fact, I don't even hear that word tolerance anymore. It's out the window. But for us as believers, we need, we need to understand it's the love of God that should compel us. We have to know our audience. And we need to be mindful of those things that aren't essential. Certainly, Paul wasn't changing his way. And unfortunately, we don't want to go so far as some do in the church that, well, to win the world, we have to become like the world. That is not what Paul was saying here. That's not Paul's heart. But he was willing to do what was necessary for the sake of the gospel. It's, 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 it's possible that we could have the right message, but without grace. It's not about us being right. Of course we have the right message. We have the one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. But what's even more important is if we're demonstrating that love to one another and especially to the audience, those that don't know Jesus. That's a prayer point, by the way. We're going to pray for the lost. And what we see here then is spiritual harmony. We see this grace. We see the spirit of God. In verse 5, we see, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Musiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. By passing by Musiah, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so, James, do you have a map for us? It showed up better on a computer, but, uh, <laughs> but you can kind of see this, right? Uh, if you follow the red line, starting over here near in, in, uh, you know, Syria and go to the left, you see Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and you follow the... The, the journey which Paul and his mission t missionary team took. Um, 
Hopefully you can see that, or if you in the back of your Bible, you might be able to have a better map. But anyway, so we see where uh, some of these cities and these regions were. And it's interesting then that we read that it's the Holy Spirit which forbids Paul from going into the province of Asia, not the continent Asia, but the province called Asia. And as we know, Paul was called to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was called to do so. But yet we see here the Holy Spirit forbid him to go into the province of Asia to preach the word. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, why? Why would, why would God do this? Why would the Holy Spirit forbid? I mean, that's a pretty strong word, forbid. What do we make of this? Well, we could you know, dissect this for a moment, as we will. It could be that Paul and his team didn't have any peace. How many of us, when we're seeking direction from the Lord, that we just don't have peace, so we don't move forward, right? We can identify with that. We know and confident that it's not the Lord's will for us to do because if we did, we know that we would not be walking in God's will and therefore not have peace. What about lack of provision, right? Where God guides, he provides. I agree 100% with that. But it should never, ever supersede the voice of God. Sometimes the Lord wants us to totally trust in him. And he wants us to walk in in obedience. And what about perhaps there was a prophetic word given as they were praying as to where they would go. Maybe one in the team, you know, uh, I, I really sense the Holy Spirit saying not to go. It could have been that. And most likely, the Holy Spirit was working through a circumstance that had to do with the Apostle Paul's eyes. Remember, he had an illness. He had some kind of a disease. And most likely, and many scholars point to the language here, when we look at verse 8, it says, they came down to Troas. When you go down to verse 10, it says, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So many scholars believe that at this particular time, remember it's Luke who's the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts. At this time, Luke shows up and he's ministering. He becomes essentially uh, the Apostle Paul's physician. And so it's very likely that God used the circumstance, a physical ailment to forbid them from going into the province of Asia, to preach the gospel. Could you put that picture back up, James? Which is interesting because we read here also in verse 7 that uh, they tried to go to Bithynia up to the north there, and again the Holy Spirit tells them that they're not going there. And so we kind of get the picture. They're not going to these different places. Uh, They go on, and we see um, Paul has a vision an invitation, if you will, to go to Macedonia. Now, do we believe that God reveals himself and gives direction through visions? Absolutely we do. Visions and dreams. And sometimes people say, well, I don't believe that because I never experienced that. And we don't have to experience something for it to be true. But I just can't think, I can't help but to think of what God does is doing in the Middle East today. And you hear these stories of 
many Muslims are having visions and, and being directed to go to somebody, and the guy has a Bible uh, for them. Uh, many interesting stories over the last you know, 10, 15 years of just how God uses visions. And so here we have Paul. He receives this vision, and he's invited to go to Macedonia. But the big picture in Paul being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into the province of Asia and to Bithynia, it wasn't God's timing. It wasn't God's timing. That's the big picture. Simply, it was not God's timing yet for them to go there. And, and for you and I, it, it's difficult sometimes to wait on the Lord, isn't it? We don't like to wait. I'd rather hear no than wait. But sometimes the Lord needs to do things in us before we can be effective for him. He needs to work in us. And whatever he was doing here with Paul and the, and the missionary team, it wasn't his time, but we know the rest of the story, right? So verse 11 says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of what part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So let's look at our map. And to the west of the province of Asia, you'll see, or hopefully you can see, um, you know, Macedonia up there in the left-hand corner. And we see Philippi there. So they have traveled a good ways. It wasn't like they had 747s to, to go to different places. But this is where we are. This is where God has led them uh, to Philippi. And we see that Macedonia is the northern part of modern-day Greece. And Philippi, you might remember, was a Roman colony. And so they probably had a, a military presence there, ruled by Romans. Um, the people there would be loyal to Rome, loyal to Caesar, and therefore they would experience privileges from Rome. And verse 13 we read, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So if you remember, Paul had the custom that when he would enter into a place where there were Jewish people, he would go to the synagogue. He would reason from the scriptures and preach Jesus Christ to them. But here we don't have a synagogue. It's on the Sabbath day. No synagogue because there wasn't enough men. To, to have an official synagogue, there had to be at least 10 men. But we see God doing amazing work here, don't we? It wasn't dependent on 10 men for God to work. There just wasn't able to be a synagogue. So Paul understood or, or, or knew from his stay there that uh, there's these women who went down to the river and they would be praying and they would be worshiping God. They were Jewish. And as they uh, are praying there, and as Paul went there, verse 14 says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, 
If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And so here we have Lydia. She is the first convert in all of Europe. And we see that uh, she was wealthy as she sold this, uh, these purple garments or purple dyed garments. And the dye would come from a certain shellfish. And they would have to, you know, retract the, 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 dropping, the droplets. And uh, very expensive is what I'm trying to say. So she was wealthy. And we see here the Spirit of God working. We see Paul sharing the gospel. We understand that God brought Paul and his team to this certain place. So when you think back to what we just read in the first, what, ten, ten verses of how the Holy Spirit was forbidding them to go into the province of Asia and to the north, God was in control the whole time, leading them to Philippi. And we see Lydia, the first convert in all of Europe. And what do we call this but a divine appointment? Divine prayer point. Divine appointment. (laughs) The Lord, through the Holy Spirit's leading, leading Paul and this mission team to the riverside, in Philippi, divine appointment for this woman and women who were praying and worshiping God, but they weren't saved. That reminds us that there are people that might pray. There are people that might say they worship God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And that's something for for you and I to to remember as we pray for the lost. And here we see that Paul was obedient, followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, God entrusting this team with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Lydia is saved. And so God is on the move. It continues the mighty work of God in Philippi. Verse 16 says, Now it happened as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. So a spirit of divination. What's that mean? Well, this woman was demon-possessed. And as... uh, Many commentators suggest this was probably a spirit of pythonia, where we get the word python, snake. Doesn't mean much to you and I, but this python was associated with the god Apollos, and this, uh, you know, there was a shrine to this uh, god not far from Philippi. So it was this woman was demon possessed. There was uh, just like we understand demon possession. Um, you know, in this day and age, it's, we're seeing it, isn't it, aren't we? The influence of demonic activity in our world, just as the Bible says there would be. And, but it's nothing new. And we see here uh, and be reminded that God is sovereign over all darkness. And we see here this woman proclaiming a truth. I find that very interesting. This spirit-possessed woman, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Now, in my mind, I would be like, okay, let's, let's listen to her because I think we got her. 
If she said that, not knowing she's possessed, by the way, maybe we can lead her to Jesus. I think she's close. But Paul didn't think that. Paul understood very clearly that this woman was demon-possessed. And Paul understood that the enemy can disguise himself with some truth. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen and 15. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And so the enemy can disguise himself as light. And the Bible, many places, tells us that uh, light has no conformity or no place with darkness. Christianity with the world is not compatible. And Satan's strategy here, this is spiritual warfare, Satan's strategy is always to hinder, distort, prevent the gospel of Jesus Christ from going away, going out. He did it in the garden, and he continues to do it. He lied to Eve, sin came into the world, and we're still living with those effects, aren't we? Jesus came, the gospel's being spread, the church began, and here we are 2,000 years later, and Satan is still trying to distort the gospel. But we see here, Paul did not let this woman speak, these demons speak, for this very reason. I'm reminded Jesus did the same thing. He wouldn't let demons speak. And he had authority over them. Verse 18 says, And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Well, that's a powerful verse right there, especially when you go in the mission field. You know, there's a lot of books written, a lot of messages given, a lot of conferences and seminars and whatnot on how to cast out demons. But this is the only way demons are cast out. Because Jesus Christ has authority. You and I do not have authority. We have authority in Christ. But Christ is the authority. I'll never forget the first trip to Haiti. I remember Pastor Rick saying, Jim, you ever cast out any demons? No. Oh, we need to talk. You know, And that's what he told me. This is all you need to know. I have seen a demon or three, but there's a joke behind that. We'll leave that one go, but. So Paul's annoyed, he cast out this demon, and then verse 19 says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And so Paul and Silas, they're... They're dragged out in front of the magistrates in the town square in the city. They were brought before these authorities and they were charged essentially sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching things that Romans could not observe. And very precisely, it was the King Jesus Christ, right? It wasn't Caesar who they proclaimed to be a little g, God, right? And so... That would be a problem for Roman citizens to acknowledge Jesus Christ as king, as Lord. And so they brought before the magistrates. 
they're experiencing spiritual persecution, they're experiencing spiritual warfare. Again, if you and I are going out and sharing the gospel, if we're living for the Lord, we are going to experience forms of spiritual persecution. If we proclaim the name of Jesus, we can count on it, right? And we don't have to be fearful, but we are going to experience persecution. As we know throughout the world, Christians all over the world are experiencing greater in-depth persecution in the days that we're living in. And then verse 22 says, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they received their beating, essentially by the policemen at the command of these authoritative figures, the magistrates. And after Paul and Silas received these many blows, they were thrown into prison and they had their feet placed in the stocks. They were in horrible shape. These stocks had various holes and spaces that the prisoners would put their legs in and they would be, you know, I, I can't even fathom the physical pain that they went through, just the beating with the rods. And then to be all cramped up and to be bound up and to put in these stocks, uh, they were severely struggling and, and having excruciating pain. But that's not the end of the story. Now we get to the good part. Verse 25 says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Wow. This shows us that joy and worship is not dependent on circumstances. We can't fathom the pain they were experiencing. But I can't fathom their worship here either. This is so amazing of the Lord. I had a conversation uh, with a dear sister before driving here tonight. And suffering from physical ailment. And uh, had the opportunity then. You know, and, and telling me, explaining to me how the, the Lord's working in her heart that her eyes might not be on herself. And this woman's a very godly woman, and you see the light of Jesus Christ in her. Much joy, always wanting to praise the Lord, never talks about herself. And she said, Pastor, the, the Lord's doing a work in my heart. And as she was in the line at Kroger's, she was able to witness to two people. One a non-believer, another one a pastor. And I just had the picture then of a person who's a light becoming a bright light. And that's what we see with Paul and Silas. It wasn't about their circumstances, it's about Jesus. All about Jesus, knowing that he had a hold of them. And for you and I, this is the great hope that we have, living in these days that we're living in. It doesn't matter. We're living not anything new. Look at the early century, the first church, the, 
the early church and what they went through. But they had the Holy Spirit. They had the love of God. They expected Jesus to come at any time, and they just wanted to be faithful to him and experience him. And that's so important for you and I. It doesn't matter what our circumstance might be. We can experience God and experience his, his love and his grace and his mercy. And that's what Paul and Silas were doing, singing hymns to God and praying. And then verse 26, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And so we see the hand of God upon the lives of Paul and Silas. As they were praying and as they were worshiping the Lord, singing the Lord, the Lord intervened in a powerful way. And the keeper of the prison, this Philippian jailer, he was going to kill himself because the law was if those in prison escaped, then you would receive their punishment. And so, I don't know, there was probably some pretty shady characters in this Philippi prison, and this guy knows he's doomed, so he might as well, you know, why wait for execution? So he goes to kill himself. But Paul calls out to him and, and says, all the prisoners are here. And I find it interesting in the f- verse 29. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. So this is very interesting. At one moment, the Philippian jailer is fearing for his life. He knows he's probably doomed. He knows he's going to probably be executed. But at the time the light goes on and he sees, and it's probably not like a switch, folks. I just thought of that myself. Nobody turned a switch on. Oh my goodness. Confessions from the pulpit, right? (laughs) So the light goes on so that he could see Paul and Silas. And then what does he say? Verse 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's interesting that as he saw Paul and Silas, he ran and was at their feet. Something happened. Something changed in this man's life. I'm convinced that this man heard the gospel. He may have even heard of what happened with the slave girl. He understands, you know, how uh, the the fortune-telling business took a hit and the masters, uh, you know, were were so disappointed they were losing money and things turned on Paul and they were put into the jail. He understands all of that. In fact, he may have even been the one to administer the punishment to Paul and Silas. But the moment the light went on, he was at their feet and he's asking, how or what must I do to be saved? What a question to chew on for you and I. I don't know if you've ever experienced somebody asking you that. That's our prayer. That's a prayer point. Uh, This is the hand of God moving and working in the life of Paul and Silas as they were focused on him 
And as God was uh, under his power, the gospel going forward and spreading. And this man, what must I do to be saved? We see God working. Not only was he having an, uh, this man having an encounter with Paul and Silas, he was having an encounter with God. Something triggered in him. He, all of a sudden, he had a, a consciousness, an awareness that he must get right with God. He understood somehow. He had the intuition that he was not right with God. And isn't this the essence of worship? I mean, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, and hopefully we already are, because for you and I, Christmas is every day. We celebrate Jesus Christ. But when you think about what we celebrate at Christmas, we celebrate the fact not only of Jesus, who he is, but he came. He came from heaven to earth. He came to dwell with man. He didn't just come to die on the cross for our sin, although that's the mission it was accomplished, but even much more than that, God came in the flesh to dwell with you and I. He came to dwell with man. He came to bridge the gap that from heaven, right, the divine with man, sinful man, God provided the remedy through Jesus that we might have access to God to dwell with him. And the essence of our worship as believers is having that consciousness, that awareness that he is God. And he did something for me, something that I do not deserve, something that only he could do by extending mercy. Something was going on with this Philippian jailer. He has this now awareness. So I'm sure what the Apostle Paul should have said was go to church, get baptized, read your Bible, say your prayers. We hope that's good. But he didn't. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. He didn't say go to church, join a church, get baptized, read your Bible, say your prayers. All those things are essential. But they don't bring salvation. The word believe here in the Greek is pisteo, which means to be persuaded, to place confidence in, to trust, to commit. We think of John chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus said. How about Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And let's look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And that tells us this Philippian jailer didn't go looking for God. God came looking for him. And you think about your own life of how God began that work in your heart, of how he worked in your heart and gave you that awareness, that consciousness that I needed to be right with God. Again, I don't think one of us here woke up one morning and said, okay, it's time for me to seek God. Might wake up and say, well, it's time for me to stop that and stop that and stop that. 
But God has his ways. And John chapter 6, uh, verse 47, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So again, that word belief. Now, when we go back to Acts chapter 16, when, when it says there that you and all your household, that is not to suggest that the faith of the jailer would bring salvation to all of his household. Uh, salvation comes to a person individually, as you and I know. Our faith has to be our own faith. It's something that we share with teenagers all the time. Your faith must become your own faith. My household can't be saved because of my faith. They have to make that, you know, confession to God of who he is and what he's done in the person work of, of Jesus Christ. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took from the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had bought them and brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Now, to beat a Roman who was uncondemned uh, was a capital crime. And so these judges, these magistrates, are really in trouble. Now, interesting question is, why didn't Paul play this civil right that he had because he's a Roman citizen? Why didn't he say this beforehand? Why didn't he bring it to their attention beforehand? Well, I don't think God wanted him to, simply put, right? The Roman citizens were protected by Roman law. These guys are in trouble. And Paul is claiming a right. We do have rights as human beings. We do have rights as a church. And essentially, this is what I believe that, and, and most commentators that I've read believe, is that Paul is essentially protecting the church here. He's not going on and protesting for his rights. But he is proclaiming a truth if he would have just left with his ministry team and left and left the region, there would have been so many questions. Well, who were those guys? What were they doing? What were they talking about? And they wouldn't have been, uh, you know, a, a recognized religion, if you will. But now that they have the magistrates on spot, this new church in Philippi, they were able to be recognized and essentially authorized uh, Boy, we could go into some sermons on this one, you know, about our rights. But for you and I as believers in the Lord, Jesus Christ is our authority. He is our right. There's no one else that has authority over you and I. But nevertheless, back to Paul's heart, and what compelled him to do the things that he did was always for the sake of the gospel, always for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that should be our mindset. 
Verse 38 says, And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So that's Acts chapter 16, the start of Paul's second mission journey. And there's a lot there. But hopefully we see the same Holy Spirit that worked then is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in us, the same Holy Spirit that empowers us, the same Holy Spirit that bears witness of Jesus. The calling is the same. We have the same calling, just a different time. And we are closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church in that first century church. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message or about following Christ, you can contact us at cccincinnati.org. Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati. Simply teaching the Bible simply. <laughs>